0: Good evening. I'm the pastor in like she said, and you are at New Day Vine, the Vine campus of New Day Community Church. Welcome. And this is the last sermon, or yes, the last sermon of the series, Being Church. We hope to continue Being Church after that, but this is the <laughs> last sermon in the series. And I'm going to talk about something today that, you know, we, we've talked about the church's kingdom, and that was kind of heavy and theological, and what the heck this kingdom could be. we talked about church's family, I tried to prove a point from the scriptures that church really is family. And last week we talked about accountability in church, which was really, you know, how how does that work on the ground. But today, today is really more of a practical, almost introspective sermon. It seems like it wouldn't be uh, an individual kind of private, introspective sermon. But in actuality, it turned out to be. Because today I'm talking about a church of servants. One of the most important parts of being church is that we all have servant hearts, but there is a huge difference between the activity and the identity. There's a big difference even between having a church where everyone serves, and please by the way, do serve, we are having sign-ups going up here in the next few weeks, do that, we need that, we love that, but there's a big difference between just doing the activity and serving and actually being a biblical servant. We're going to discover that a biblical servant is powerful and not pathetic. Does that make sense? Is that good news? Excellent. Get ready to get practical. Here we go. Why do we want to be a church of servants? Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says some version of this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, this is Jesus saying, even me, guys, even I, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Interestingly, this conversation is necessitated because the disciples are arguing about who would be the greatest. I believe it's James and John, our broad buddies, the sons of thunder, who come to Jesus on the slide and are like, Hey man, uh, you know, here's the 20, can we be on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you guys? You don't even understand what you're asking. Well, the other disciples hear about it, that they're trying to get at the head of the line, and they start grumbling and fighting, and Jesus calls them over and says, look, you guys have greatness messed up. In the same context, this is recorded in the book of Mark. With, a, with one interesting addition, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Pretty, pretty standard. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be, what's that word? Slave. Slave of all. Slave of all. And then it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying the path to greatness is to serve. Even the the S word, guys, even to be a slave of all. He's saying, you 12 guys, and maybe more, are arguing about how to be the best. He's like, I'll tell you. It's not coming to me and trying to be on my right and left. It's actually looking at the other 11 dudes and putting yourself underneath them and acting like they're slave, acting like they're servant, being willing to do that. I want to I wanna go off on a belief, no, no, I won't go off on that tangent now, but it will probably come later. So there's a tangent, looming, that is not on <laughs> my slideshow. It will probably descend anytime. Well, let's talk about what this looks like. We know Jesus wants us to serve. Jesus said, I'm the son of man. He knows who he is. He's the Son of God, incarnate. And he's like, even I did not come to be served, but to serve. Read this account in Luke. It's pretty interesting, but I'm not going to get into it today. He's like, you go into a banquet, and and who's the greater person at the banquet? The dude that's at the table or the dude that's serving tables? It's, It's the dude that's at the table, right? Everywhere you go in the world. And Jesus says, and yet, I'm here as one who serves. Think about that. So we're supposed to be servants, even as Mark says, slaves. Don't get weirded out, we're bringing this around. So my question is, what does that look like? How is a servant supposed to act? When we think of a servant, when we think of a slave, in our mind, we come up with some attributes, maybe not everybody, I'm not going to throw everybody under the bus, but I definitely have a, 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 a servant kind of... I guess, stereotype in my mind of how they might act. And some of these will seem good, some of these will seem not so good, but here's a list of attributes and see if you don't think of these things when you think of servanthood. Here we go. The servant, or the slave, says, yes, please, thank you, sir and ma'am, but never, no, I can't, or I won't. Their job is to agree and be polite. In fact, they never argue, they're overly polite, They're agreeable to a fault, and in fact, they're kind of a doormat. And why shouldn't they be, right? They're absurd, they're a slave, kind of comes with the territory to be a doormat. I don't want to hear your opinion. And in fact, they keep their opinions to themselves, and they're silent until spoken to. They're also meek, mild, lowly, humble, and unassuming. Lastly, let's not forget that almost to a person, they harbor unspoken resentment towards their masters and they live in fear and bitterness. Yes. Amen. Yes. Pass the offering basket. Church. No. If you think this is what a servant is, and if you think this is what a servant should look like and act like, the absolute best you're going to be able to do is Dobby. Oh. Dobby from Harry Potter. Now, time out. If you're the type of person that thinks the entire Harry Potter series is Harry Potter Harry very Potter series of evil and demonic. I do apologize, but it was an apt analogy. Actually, I'll tell you this. The, the one character in that whole series I was truly disturbed by, it wasn't Voldemort. It wasn't the Malfoys who happened to be this dude's bosses. It was this guy. This guy seemed absolutely disgusting to me. Repulsive. I could not stand to watch him on the screen. And if there was any character I could be convinced was absolutely from the pit, it was this unassuming looking pimp. It was just gross to me. But guys, he had terrible masters. He had a terrible life. He had a terrible self image. He acted terribly. He, remember, he's constantly bashing his head against the wall, constantly reprimanding himself, no self esteem. And then when you see him interact with his masters in the movies, the Malfoys, he is just the most kicked, beaten down, belittled, oh, the most ill treated, pathetic little thing you've ever seen. Right? But such is his place. Because he's a house elf, right? He's a servant. He's a slave. That's how we should act. But that's actually totally gross and totally untrue. Because in this house, in God's house, we need to know that the heart of the servant of God is not be down. Amen. Ever. In fact, God is trying to do the opposite. Does he tell us we need to serve? Yes. Does he try to beat us into submission? No. In fact, submission is is asked for and never, like, he doesn't treat us like the mouthfuls, I guess. If you've seen the movies, he's the best way to say it. God is in the heart healing business and the heart restoring business, not in the heart beating down business. I think a better image for what servanthood should look like, and in fact, I'm using two risky analogies here. Who can forgive Pastor Anthony risky analogies? I
1: can. Thank you so much. <laughs> if you
0: can, not talk to me later.
1: In the spirit of last week's
0: <laughs> Sermon on Accountability, you know, I will answer for my slides. But <laughs> there was a TV show that was really good for like the first half of the first series before it went the way of Charmin called Down and Abbey. Is that of Down and Abbey. <laughs> All right. I bought Nicole the box set many years ago of the first season and there was one character that absolutely stole my heart. And in fact, he made me want to be like him. Even though he was a servant. And guys, that character is Carson. Yay. And in episode two... Oh, wait. let me. I'm actually going to skip forward to Carson because I think this matters. Carson says this. Yeah, come on, man. He's talking to William, who I believe he actually brought into the house. And William's got his clothes kind of messed up. And he says this to William. He's like, "You're looking like a shabby mess, bro. And he says... To progress in your chosen career, William, is awful. You must remember that a good servant at all times retains a sense of pride and dignity that reflects the pride and dignity of the family he serves. And never make me remind you of it again. Oh, that no Davies around here. Thank you very much. Let's look at a snapshot from the Bible. From John chapter 8. The Pharisees are getting in Jesus' face again. And they ask him this question that is so blatant and abrupt that Jesus actually, actually gives him a pretty good answer. They say, who are you? Who are you? Let's <laughs> back up. And well, let's look at that. Here we go. And, and think about this, okay? This is a servant. What kind of servant is this? This is not a Dobby, guys. John 8, 25, and 28 to 30. Who are you? They ask. They've had about enough of his games, right? They're like, just tell us who you are. No more playing around here. So Jesus says to them, this hostile crowd of leaders, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. And even as He spoke, many believed in Him. What did He just say? There's a couple different ways to look at this. One is to say, well, he just told him that he's a servant of of God. Basically, all I do is what God tells me to do, and all I say is what God tells me to say. And we preach it this way a lot, accurately, because that's what Jesus was all about. Only doing and only saying and only acting in ways that God the Father would have him say, do, and act. He is a servant, first and foremost, of God. But look at this response. In fact, look at this whole chapter. When you go home tonight, get out your Bibles and read John chapter 8. Right after the whole woman caught in adultery thing, we see a chapter where Jesus is, he is large and in charge in that chapter. We could categorize that whole confrontation with these words. Jesus is confrontational. He's bold. He's corrective. He's risky. He's talking to leaders. He's talking to people with societal clout. These are somebody's. And they get in his face and he does not back down. He answers them. And he answers them well and he answers them strongly. He's even, if you read it, they get in the weeds a little bit about Abraham and who their father is. Guys, he's kind of insulting. It's unexpected. It's clever. And it's inspiring. Many people watch this encounter. They see Jesus interact with the Pharisees, the leaders, you know, the people that that are somebody's in the community, and they believe in Jesus because of what Jesus said. Now that is not a Dabby-like sermon. And it only gets better with Skip Carson, I love you, bro, but we're going to go to the next attributes. When you look at Jesus' whole career, you see Jesus doing things like this. He feeds the masses miraculously. Twice. He kicks out demons, often in public. And he does public miracles often intentionally. You got a withered hand? Come up here. Let's make a scene. Hey, you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Everybody's like, oh, what in the world is he doing? We've never seen anything like this before. You read the Bible, it's like people are astounded, people are thunderstruck, people don't understand, people are shocked, people are talking about him. He gathers a following on purpose. He demands loyalty. Jesus, I want to follow you. First, let me go bury my father. He's like, it's now or never, buddy. Like, Jesus, I, I've obeyed all the law from my youth. And I want to follow you. Okay, sell everything you have and then come follow me. Because I can see it. I can see you love those possessions more than you, The God goes away. He causes a ruckus in John. People are wandering away when he's talking about how his body is, is true food and they need to eat him. And he turns around and looks at the disciples and says, You guys can leave too if you want. Do you guys want to go? He's demanding loyalty, he instigates conflict. And he never bows to another human being for his entire life. Not Pilate, not the high priest, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. Nobody! Now, if I were to just read this out of context, if somebody were to pull this up online and come to this sermon and and listen to the last two minutes, they might not have any idea that this was a message on servanthood. (laughs) Because the fact of the matter is, you could fulfill all of these characteristics and be a real punk you could be a real jerk, man. Let's, let's look at them again. Does being confrontational make you a good servant? No. No. How about bold and corrective? That could make no. you a, no, that's not going to make you a hit at anybody's party. How about insulting and clever? Yeah. None for me, thanks. We don't need to hang out. You know? And the miracles aside, those are really great. But that doesn't necessarily paint a picture of, for me of someone who is sold out to doing the will of someone else. None of these things a servant makes. So this is the second part of my sermon. This is really where I want us to allow God to just let us, let us look at our own hearts, okay? And whenever you're going to be introspective, I, I really suggest that you always be introspective with the Lord and not without Him. Our hearts are scary and confusing and unfathomable to us by ourselves. Bring some help. Go into your own heart with the Lord in prayer. This is actually a very valuable type of prayer. But I want to do that today. How do you know if you are serving, and hopefully you're serving, or if you are a servant, biblically? How do you know? Because I don't think we can tell by these activities. Which, by the way, foreshadowing should tell you that every question I'm going to ask later is a trick question. Everybody heard that? Okay, excellent. There's a game coming up again. You can ask yourself two questions to find out if you're just surveying and fulfilling a role or if you're actually a servant as Jesus commands us to be. And here are the two questions, guys. Who's the boss? And what's the point? Who's the boss? And what's the point? Jesus was always, always, always very clear in everything he did and in every situation. No matter how unexpected and bombastic and confrontational, and, and just plain weird it was. He was always solid on one thing. He was not the boss. God the Father was in charge. If we look at this verse again, in John 8, 28-29, Jesus says, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Pause. What does lifted up mean? What is he talking about? Oh. The cross. He's talking about one of the most horrible ways to die ever devised in the entire history of the world. And he's saying, you know, you're going to believe that I don't do anything on my own and that I'm sold out to doing the will of the Father when I let myself be crucified. When you look at me up there and I'm in agony, then you'll understand that I'm not about me, I'm about him. That's when you're going to know. And then he continues, not only do I not do anything on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me, who's that? Who's that? God the Father is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. God the Father is the boss. He calls the shots. He's the master. He's the Lord of the Lord. Whenever we're doing something, we can ask ourselves, who's the boss of what I'm doing or what I'm about to do? I have an example. I'm going back. This is going to embarrass me. I'm not allowed to cry one of the most shameful things I've ever done in my life, I'm going to tell you right now, and it's not anything that would make the tabloids or anything, but this is it. I was a sophomore in high school. I had some money. I was going to spend it on a nice present from my mom. I bought a guitar. Oh, Mother's Day was coming up. I was going to buy her a present. I don't remember what it was, but I think I told you, and I think you were excited. And then I went to Guitar Center, and I bought a cheap Fender Squire Stratocaster. And I was... And still am absolutely ashamed that I did that. Absolutely ashamed. As if it was the nastiest thing I've ever done in my life. Because in that moment, it had never been so clear that the Lord was not the boss of this decision, not the boss of this activity. I wasn't even thinking about anything higher than me. It was all me. It was one of the most selfish things I've ever done in my entire life. I'm sorry, by the way. I think I said sorry then, but sorry now. Man, it matters. It matters ask yourself, who's the boss of what you're about to do? Who are you obeying? Is it just about you? Alright, we'll hit that same note again later. But next, what's the point? If it passes the first question, go to the second. What was the point of a lot of the stuff that Jesus did? Well, okay, let me first say this. We can cheat here. We can cheat and say, the point is serving. It's a message on serving. Yay, of course. Like if I I gave you guys those little things that Some churches do where you fill in the blank as the sermon goes on. The point is serving. Go back to the nap, probably. But I think we can do better than that. Because somebody actually asked Jesus, Hey Jesus, what's the point? But he phrased it like this. In Matthew chapter 22, after Jesus wipes the floor with everybody that's asking him trick questions, there's this guy, and he's a learned guy, and he's kind of standing back. And he sees Jesus just absolutely KO. All these stupid questions. And the guy has a realization. He thinks, hey, this guy's pretty bright. I think he knows what's going on. I'm going to ask one of the questions that we've debated about for a long time because I want to hear his answer and I want to listen to him. This is the interaction. He says, God, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus continues, though, and gives him a bonus. Guy gets a, he gets a BOGO. Here we go. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus lived this too. Not only was God the Father always the boss, but his, everything he did was born out of this intense love for his master, for God the Father and he says in John 17 that the way this looks in his life is that he's concerned with giving God glory giving God glory is one of the hugest points of Jesus' whole existence, he wants to give God the Father glory because he <laughs> loves him if we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, we also will consider whether or not the point of what we're doing is to bring God glory does that make yes. sense? Amen. but there's another one does it help other people? Here are three things to assess your motive and whatever you're going to do when you're deciding what's the point. You know God's the boss. That's fine. We're moving to step two. One, does it spring from your love for God? Will it bring glory to God? And three, is it done for the benefit of other people? Or is it just done for the benefit of you? Step Matthew 7, 21 to 23. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think the scariest passage in the Bible... Jesus says, hey, some people are going to show up at the end and they're going to say, Lord, look at all this cool stuff we did in your name. Look at all this cool stuff we did that no doubt brought you some glory. Uh, we'll be coming in to get our, our chips now. And Jesus is like, whoa, time out. Like, I never knew you. Like, you're out of relationship. You know, like the motive, everything about it was wrong. It's not just about the activity, it's about the identity. It's about the identity. we moving on. It's game time. All right. All of these are trick questions. So you can answer this a couple ways. We could say seems like, seems like is fair, right? Because it's a trick question anyway, so you don't want to fully commit. <laughs> are these people servants or are they not? And we could say it seems like they are servants, seems like they are not servants, and we're talking about the identity, remember. We're looking for clues. Or not enough information. Who has a sneaking suspicion that not enough information is going to be the answer to all three of you're all brilliant. You're brilliant. you have heard servants before, but it's game time. Here we go. Situation one: servant or not? The lady who constantly signs up for nursery duty. In fact, she's been changing diapers since 1976. Is this person a servant or not a servant? What does it seem like? Seems like a servant. It seems like a total saint. Shamrock says it definitely doesn't not seem like she's a servant. But in this, the whole point of my message has been there's a difference between the activity and the identity. Now, this person could be someone who is selflessly serving because she loves Jesus and loves kids and just wants to do the one job that most people don't want to do. That's possible. But how do we know? How do we know that this person isn't a total legalist and her small pond where she cares about being famous and known as that self-sacrificing person is the church? How do we know she's not a total weird narcissist legalist who's just trying to get in, wants, you know, i got to have more changed diapers than the bad deeds in my life. Jesus is going to see this and he's going to respect me. There are actually all kinds of weird ways internally that something like this can go south. Now normally it shows up. I mean, you will get to know the person and it should be obvious whether or not they're serving or if they're just doing the activity. But the answer to this, I think, is not enough information. Next one. The preacher. We live in the age of like superstar preachers, right? And they all dress just right, and their hair is just right. So I'm out. All right, the preacher. He's super smart, super engaging, super popular, super social, and always sure to get his sermons on all of his social media sites. Seems like a servant, or seems not like a servant. Sorry. You're sucking up. <laughs> Who thinks? Who thinks they smell some not so servantish qualities in this guy? Yeah, we got the hands up. No doubt. But you know what's interesting? I would lead towards thinking, yeah, this guys he's just about himself, man. He's, he's no nursery worker, you know. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that those who have the gift of leading should lead well. That whoever talks and preaches should preach like they're preaching the very words of God, boldly, confidently. We have no idea that this guy isn't really serving You don't know him? Guys, it's not fair. He could be doing it at you know who knows Robbie Zacharias. I did not know this until I listened to an interview with Robbie. He's been doing his thing for decades. He's absolutely phenomenal. He gets to go to Ivy League colleges and all these renowned institutions around the world. He started talking about how if he had it his way he would just be a cook. He loves to cook. He gets home to Georgia and he's like, I just like to cook meals. He doesn't like conflict. He does not thrive in social situations. And yet he's amazing. He does it because he's a servant. That's awesome. So we can't judge this person either. Not enough information. Now this one has a hook, right? Here we go. A strange young man who is fairly new to your church comes forward one day and says, I would like to bless your church by offering my guitar skills to your worship team. Seem like a servant or seem not so servant? Daniel says, bring him on. Daniel's like, yes, bring him in. We need him. Now, we might, this one could go either way, right? Because you got to, like maybe, odds are, he thinks way too highly of himself. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even know that you're not that skilled. But it could be Brian Welch, guys. Oh. Former guitarist, performer, who got radically saved and is now all about Jesus. And just wants to give you the skills that he used to get paid millions for for free because he loves Jesus. Oh, that's so cool. I, I think that would qualify as the hardest servant, would you not? So again, we don't know. How is it possible that we cannot not know? And I'll tell you why. Because when we're church, we need to remember that the test of servanthood is always, always, always internal. Always internal. Who's the boss? What's the point? The activity almost doesn't matter. It could be cleaning toilets, or it could be shredding on a stage. Only you can answer that with the Lord. Are you serving, or are you a servant? Have you signed on for a function, or have you accepted an identity? Only you can answer that. And I want to hit one more thing to close. Our buddy Carson, (laughs) I thought I had an Dang it. I messed up my slides. I didn't have them memorized. That's okay. What if you feel like Dobby? What if you get to church and you think the things I've done, the things I've been through, the person I've been, I just just feel like that. I feel beat down. And not only that, I feel like I deserve to feel like Dobby. I should feel nasty. I should be self-deprecating. I should be thinking about myself as a worm. You know what I mean? I just deserve it. That's where I'm at. Thank God for saving me. I can't believe you love someone as dirty and nasty and lowly as me, but i just got to keep my head down and, and serve and bear my shame because, oh, if you guys only knew who I am. If you guys only knew who I who I was. This actually, this same issue was brought up in the same issue of Down Abbey's issue? Episode. There we go. It's not a book. It's on magazine. In the same episode of Down Abbey where Carson, at the beginning of the show, by the way, tells William, hey, when you serve in this house, you maintain dignity and an honor of the house in which you serve. This is challenged. He's actually the center point of the whole episode. It turns out he used to be a stage performer before he was a servant in the house, and he's deeply ashamed of it. And it turns out the guy who was his buddy is a criminal, and he's deeply ashamed of this guy. The guy shows up at Lord Grantham's mansion to blackmail him. Parson doesn't know what to do. He's a He's putting him up, you know, somewhere on the manor. You know, he's stealing food to feed the guy, and he's found out. And when he's found out, he resigns his position. Because he can't maintain what he thinks is a fake dignity. Lord Grantham doesn't have that, of course. And at the end of the show, he has a moment with, with Mrs. Hughes, and I'm going to read that here. And, and he says to Mrs. Hughes, do you find me very ridiculous, Mrs. Hughes, putting on airs and graces I have no right to? Mrs. Hughes, Oh, no, they are He Says, What brought this on? And Carson says, Nothing, except the times I wonder if I'm just a sad old fool. Who Carson used to be, and in fact, the shameful things that he'd done recently were overshadowing the pride and the dignity that were so important to him. He wanted desperately. He, when he says yes, my lord, to Lord Grantham, he's—it's not lip service. Carson is the servant. He makes me want to be a servant. I challenge you to watch this episode and not respect the man. He thinks he's not worth the dignity of the house, and he gets set straight with this from Mrs. Hughes. Mister Carson, you—somebody say you—you—you you. You are a man of integrity and honor who raises the tone of this household by being part of it. So no more of that, please. Jesus redeems your past. He redeems her five minutes ago, and he redeems her ten years ago. You can have the dignity and the honor of the house in which you serve, and an amazing thing will happen. An amazing thing that Carson didn't even realize happened. He was changed as a result of the house in which he was serving so that he actually added to it. This is what the Lord wants to do. So let me say this again in conclusion. The test of servanthood is internal, not external. Who's the boss? What's the point? God. The heart of a servant of God is not beat down. Yeah. And the Lord wants to give you the dignity and the honor of the house in which you serve. Thank you guys. Here's Amen. Woo!